On this week's episode, I ask a college student if college in 2021 is still worth it. I get to the bottom of whether or not Valentine's Day is actually an important holiday. And comedian and podcast host Casey Balsham is here to talk about the Britney Spears conservatorship. That's a tease, and this is Mike Coscarelli Rules. He is so cute. (laughs) Mike Coscarelli? Mike Coscarelli. (laughs) Mike Coscarelli is here as well. He's the producer for this failing fucking radio show. A big hand for Mike something Italian. Hello. Welcome back. It's Mike Coscarelli Rules. I'm your host, failed comedian Mike Coscarelli. Very glad that you're joining me for another episode of the show. We got a lot of good stuff coming up on the show this week. Later, I'll be joined by comedian and podcaster, host of the Shady Shit Podcast, Casey Balsham, one of my good pals in the comedy world. Also, one of my favorite comedians, hands down, one of the funniest people out there. Uh, I have seen her massacre crowds a million times. She's so funny, and she's so great and insightful on this episode. We talk about a lot of stuff, including the uh, new Britney Spears documentary. Many of you are team free Britney. I'm on the fence, but I think I'm leaning more towards Free Britney. Uh, Casey convinces me to lean that way. So that'll be a fun interview if you're interested in Britney Spears stuff. Uh, I'm also learning that I'm cultivating primarily a female audience. I don't think there's a single man in this world that is listening to this show, which is why I'm programming it to have conversations about uh, Britney Spears. So the other thing that I wanted to to get to, I I mentioned her last week on the podcast, but uh, I've hired an associate producer. My associate producer was an intern at a job that fired me, Betches Media. Hello. She's a hardworking kid. She's 20 years old. This is fascinating because I'm an old man at 31. I'm already like way older than a 31-year-old guy. Uh, and I'm so excited that she's on the show. Uh, Ronnie Side is now joining us. Our My new associate producer, Ronnie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. I know you are. Yes. You sound so excited, Ronnie. Um, now, Ronnie, your role on this show, obviously, is, as we mentioned last week, um, is for so you're here. You're heard when needed. So don't get used to talking. No, I would never. Yeah, don't... You can't assume that you're going to be allowed to talk on the show. But for right now, um, I'm happy that the audience is going to get to to learn a little bit about you. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, because I don't know that I did a good job explaining and, and pumping you up. Okay. Were you not prepared to talk about yourself? <laughs> no, I was not. I'm never prepared to talk about myself. <laughs> Let's see. Well, I'm a college student, but uh... <laughs> I really was not prepared. <gasps> What did you think we were going to talk about? I don't know. Not me. I thought we, I thought we were just going to gab. They are gabbing. Yeah. This um, is what two gals do. They do some gabbing. They talk about each other. I'm contemplating dropping out of college right now. You I would say that's what's yeah. up. Yeah. Well, this is something that we wanted to talk about. Ronnie goes to the new school in New York City, which is a it's an art school, technically. Correct. Yeah. It's we like to refer to ourselves as that. Yeah. yeah you're a film major. You've or a study a screen studies major. Uh, roommate Chris Cheney said, oh, so you study silk screening. <laughs> that was a new one. I, I was quite happy to hear that. <laughs> um, you, uh, you're, so you're a screen major. You're, you work on a lot of these videos that we do for the show. That's all your work. And you do a great job with that. Um, and when we, you were interning at Betches, uh, you were one of those people that worked your asses off and ass worked your ass off. You only have one. I might have multiple. You don't know that. <laughs> you worked your ass off. You were the type of person that uh, was a lot of fun to work with. And it was also just the type of person that rolls your sleeves up. And when it's time to get some shit done, Ronnie to the rescue. Whether it was building sets or, or whatever, you were able to do whatever people asked you to do, which is why I wanted you on this show. 
Uh, and another reason is apparently you're dropping out of college. <laughs> yeah. And wouldn't be the first time, actually. I've dropped out of college twice already in my two decades on this earth. So. What was the first time? Where? The first time I dropped out of George Washington University. Oh, good I, school. Yeah. I was not there that you for, would know. Yeah, no, I, I would not. I was there for a month and I looked around and I said, ooh, I hate these people. So I left. So it was a people thing. It was like a lot of like uh, golf shirts. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone rock and vineyard vines. Yeah. That was really it. You're more punk rock. I sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll, no, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, definitely was not my scene, but it was cool to be in D.C. Um, but I think I just went there because NYU rejected me. So. Oh, yeah. 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 But That's pretty good safety school. Yeah. No, it, it, it worked out well. But then I left. Um and went somewhere else and then I dropped out of there and went to the new school. So why are you thinking of dropping out now? Um, Because I gained nothing from it. Mm -hmm. And also the whole Zoom situation just, I think, points out all the faults in the college system. And I've just kind of had it. I don't want to be in student debt for 10 years. I'm already going to have so much student debt. So at this point, I'm like, might as well quit while I'm ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But really, so, the thing is, I gain nothing. I gain more from doing this kind of work than I do from sitting on Zoom and, you know, doing bullshit readings. Yeah, you're saying that your teacher, some of your teachers don't even come on the camera. Yeah, I have Zoom. a teacher who doesn't turn the camera on and just talks and no one else turns their camera on. So it's just this weird, side, like dystopian thing. Did but, you like college before the Zoom stuff started? I liked some aspects of it, but... I th I've always had the thought in the back of my mind, like, eh, should I really be here? Am I, what am I gaining out of this? Or am I just doing the thing that everyone does? Mm -hmm. So, And your plan is eventually to leave Mike Coscarelli rules and go into the film industry. Yeah. Unless sadly. I can stop you. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this goes, you know? I'm going to keep... Uh, I'm, uh, listen... Uh, this is going to be the best $150 a week job that you've ever had. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I just quit my other job. So this better, this better pay off. Yeah. Listen, and I, as you know, I'm also unemployed, so we have to make this work. Otherwise yeah, no, there's this really is, no other option. Yeah. There's no other option. Our backs are to the wall. We are mm -hmm. fucking under the gun. And that's that. Do you think, cause we were talking about this before we started and I, I was really interested in the college conversation. You're 10 years younger than or 11 years younger than I am. When you were coming up through high school and everything, was it hammered into your head that you have to go to college, you need to get your degree because otherwise you're, it was always, the way it was explained to me was always, you're going to, if you don't go to college, you're going to end up working with your back. Now, mm -hmm. granted, I'm also a guy, so I'm wondering if that has any, like, um, makes a difference in this at all. But that was like the clear message to me coming from like an Italian family was like, you either go to college or you end up like, you know, installing roofs or whatever. Pumping gas was the joke because I was so bad in school. So I'm I'm from a small town and I think it was the same thing. It was that if you don't get a college degree, something's going to happen to you. But the thing was that you are just a burnout. That's what it is. It's just like end you, up doing nothing. You'll just end up back in your parents' house doing nothing. Yeah, but my my parents are so not like that. We were kind of like the black sheep in in that situation, and they were like, "No, you're gonna go. You're gonna do the thing, and blah 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 blah. See where it takes you." But I'm the youngest of four kids, so I got to my last year of high school, and I was like, "Hey, what if I don't do this?" And they were like, "Well, can't really stop you." So, yeah, that's when I went to college for a month, and then I called them up, and I was like. I'm not into this. And they were like, okay. And then you just stopped? I just stopped, yeah. I came back, I got a job, and went from there. I had a job, I went back to my old job. Interesting. Well, yeah. it's it's weird. I, I, I'm I'm 
I was trying to give you advice before this whole thing, and I don't know. I finished school barely. Like, I got to the finish line and um, really was, like, limping the whole way, dragging myself over the finish line. <laughs> but I also had a lot of the similar feelings. I liked school when I was going for things that I liked, you know, like broadcasting stuff, whatever, film stuff too. But um, I do think that at this point, I'm not going to tell you to drop out of college and keep working on my Coscarelli rules, but you should, uh, <laughs> I, I think that I do think that we're at a point where like my generation, the people that went in, in big numbers, because I think that my generation was one of the first where it was like, everybody went to college, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we care as much about somebody. Like if we're, tr- if I was hiring, I've hired you for two different jobs now. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't care whether you went to college really or like I, I got to know you because the new school sent us, sent us your, sent you our way. Yeah. But like outside of that, like whether, whether you went to college or where you went to college really didn't mean as much as you just like showing up and working really hard, mm. you know? Yeah. And again, I, I don't know. I don't know that people are looking at colleges and going like, Oh wow. She went to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Cause I think that people in their thirties now are just kind of like, I went to college. It was bullshit. Yep. Yeah. You know? And I think the thing now too is for, for younger people, for people from my generation, it's the thing of what you look at is something like our social media profile or our portfolio. And that's how you showcase your professionalism or your artistry. And that's way more important than what degree you have or what school you went to. At a certain point, if you're a video person and you can do the video, exactly. what else do you need? Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's about what skills you have, not you know where you went all right well mike coscarelli rules listeners uh mike's weird gay nervous army as we're calling you guys i love it <laughs> that, that's me in a nutshell lesson one ronnie marketing uh let us know what you think should ronnie drop out of school and now we got to keep in mind if we're putting the poll up on instagram if they say you got to drop out that's it no yeah. more school for you, Ronnie. No, this is my own. This is I'm at my wits end here, people. So we're going to put the poll up on the Insta- on my Instagram at Mike Coscarelli. Should Ronnie drop out of college? And you need to vote. You got to let us know how it goes. And then Ronnie will, you know, the decision of her future really rests in the hands of all of you guys. So take this seriously, folks. Uh, and that's Ronnie's side, everybody. Where can uh, people find you, Ronnie? Now that you're part of the show, where can people follow you on social media? You know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm huge on social media, but you can still find me at, at Ronnie Side on Instagram. There you go. Follow Ronnie at Ronnie Side on and Instagram. And my social security number goes as follows. Oh, don't get a little, you're getting a little out of hand. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> All right, Ronnie, back into the shadows you go as I monologue and gas bag for another five minutes before we get into the next segment. Actually, there's not a whole lot else to say right now. Um, thank you, Ronnie. Uh, listen, a couple quick updates and then we'll get right into the show. Cause there's so much to get to. Um, the show's moving to Wednesdays. I'm sorry, guys. I don't if for any of you that care. I Tuesdays, I don't have enough time to get this thing around on Tuesdays and even Wednesdays. Sometimes it's a bit of a stretch. So the show now is going to be every Wednesday. And now that Ronnie is on board, we're going to try to do some more bonus content. Uh, I'm up against one tough fucking deadline for the next couple of weeks. Once that thing is out of the way, um, you guys will have so much more Mike Coscarelli rules coming your way. And uh, that makes me very excited because now that I have some help, 
Um, hopefully there's some extra cool stuff coming. Now, uh, coming up next, we're going to do a little deep dive into Valentine's Day and why it actually is an important holiday. Uh, I had a bit of an epiphany sitting in my room alone, uh, drunk on Valentine's Day. Uh, and I wrote a little thing and produced a little thing. So I hope you enjoy that. And then the hilarious Casey Balsham is on the other side. And we talk about her getting married in quarantine, the current state of stand-up comedy, which for a show hosted by a former uh, failed comedian, you'd think we'd have gotten to that sooner, but we haven't. Uh, so we talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, we talk about the Britney Spears documentary that's on Hulu right now that the New York Times did. It brings up the conservatorship issues. Uh, it brings up the roller coaster ride that was her rise and fall and... Um, really her run at being extremely famous and how we completely tore her apart. And uh, so we talk about that stuff. Plugs. If you want to reach me or reach the show, coskrules at gmail.com. Send whatever email you want. You can send good stuff, bad stuff. Send it there. Uh, my social media channels, I'm at Mike Coscarelli on both Instagram and Twitter. I've been using Twitter again now that I am uh, as depressed as ever. Uh, there's a lot of great content going on my Twitter timeline. So go ahead and check that out. And you can find Ronnie, as she said, at Ronnie side on Instagram. Please, if you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And that's all I got for you today, guys. Enjoy the rest of the show. I'll see you on the other side. In 11 seconds. Well, it's Valentine's Day again. At least it was when I wrote this. This was a tough one for me. It was the first time in my adult life, the holiday, if you want to call it that, didn't creep up on me. In years past, I either didn't care about it because I was such a piece of shit in my early 20s who didn't love anyone, myself included, or life would get so busy that I, admittedly, would wait until the last minute to try and do something special for my always on-again, off-again, and now ex-girlfriend. This year, however, the day loomed. February 14th was circled on my calendar like a bitter rival on a high school football schedule. The only difference was that no one threw me a pep rally to beat my depression or beat my loneliness the way we did to get up and beat J.P. Stevens High School on Thanksgiving, which we never did, by the way. There were no cheerleaders with pom-poms chanting, Mike, Mike, he's our man. If he can't do it, we're not surprised. As expected, while this hellscape of isolation and loneliness continues, this Valentine's Day just sunk me deeper into the pit of despair. A night of scrolling through Instagram, envying both friends and enemies, paying tribute to their significant others with a knot in my stomach and a glass of bourbon in my hand, as I listened to Merle Haggard sing, Our paths may never cross, and fuck this sounds depressing. Jesus Christ, my God. I'm already sorry for writing this. But on one of the most depressing nights of the most depressing year of everyone's life, I think I finally understood why this stupid holiday isn't a stupid holiday. In four years, I can remember two Valentine's Day in particular with my ex, VX. Two years ago, we met at a Colombian restaurant for dinner. I picked up a giant life-size teddy bear on my way over from work and dragged it across New York City on the M14 bus. 
people were pissed. Because not only do New Yorkers hate public displays of affection or vulnerability, they hate them even more when those things are taking up a seat on the bus. I made it to the restaurant with her card and her teddy bear, and our table for two became a table for three. We had a really nice night, and I'll probably never forget it. It's also safe to say that I'll never forget last year's Valentine's Day either, when times were really less good. Again, on my way home from work, I picked up some roses for her, only to find out once I walked through the door of our apartment that she already had roses. Not from me, of course, but from another man who had assumed that we had broken up. Now, in his defense, he was only off by about a month, but them being there in the first place led to a pretty big fight. I communicated to her that having flowers from another man in our home made me uncomfortable. And she communicated to me that I could go fuck myself. She kept the flowers, and since they were those rad expensive ones that come in a box, they lasted a real, real long time. It was a bad night. The point being that Valentine's Day is a marker for where your relationship is. Two years ago, my relationship was in a great place. All I wanted to do was make my then-girlfriend happy and playfully embarrass her in public with a big-ass teddy bear that we had to seat at our dinner table and drag back to Queens somehow. That entire year was a lot of fun and very positive, and the memory that I have of the person I loved is specific to Valentine's Day because it's meant to be your night to shine and show that person that you really give a shit about them. Life gets busy, and we take people for granted. However, if you can't take one night out of the year Especially a night when reminders of hearts and love are literally decorating windows all over the city to make your significant other feel special, then you really are a class A scumbag. Which is why when Flowergate hit the Coscarelli household, things got heated. The flowers were more than flowers. They signified the growing lack of respect for one another and the sinking titanic that was our relationship. After that Valentine's Day, for the remainder of the relationship, every time we had a fight, the roses conveniently made their way onto the coffee table to, and please believe I'm saying this sarcastically, get some sunlight. Relationships aren't always necessarily about two people in love, or in my case, two people falling out of love. The relationship with yourself is arguably the most important one, and the pressure of the day is also felt by single people, who typically handle it one of two ways. Some roll their eyes at the fact that the day even exists. Writing it off is a greeting card holiday. It's safe to say that the people who feel that authentically have a pretty good relationship with themselves. They're okay being single. They have a good job, they have high self-esteem, and they're not listening to Merle Haggard as they reevaluate every decision they've made in the last five years of their life. Good for them. Others get swallowed by the grips of loneliness. In my opinion, this has only gotten worse in my time here on Earth. Pre-social media, there was no obligation to make public shrines to your loved ones to show them affection. Your love life was a private thing, and I never had to see it. But now, I see it all. You and your boyfriend eating pizza together. You and your boyfriend dressed as Jim and Pam from The Office on Halloween. You and your boyfriend laying on a beach in Bali. I don't even want to go to Bali. I'm never going to go to Bali. It's like 20 hours away on a plane. And oh yeah, The Office, real original. That show sucks anyway. It's the same joke over and over again. And you look stupid with that haircut. Ronnie, get me a fart sound effect, please. Thank you. I don't even like these things, but I'm still jealous. 
People on the bitter side of the love fence like to write the holiday off. Some of them like to write love off altogether as a fabrication, a fairy tale invented as an act of commerce, a hook that exists only to get people to spend their money on things like diamonds and clothing and liquor. A theory explained succinctly by Mad Men's Don Draper. When you mean love, you mean the big lightning bolt to the heart where you can't eat and you can't work and you just run off and get married and make babies. The reason you haven't felt it is because it doesn't exist. What you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons. It sure is cynical. And it's even kind of cool. Love doesn't exist, man. It was invented on Madison Avenue, blah, blah, blah. It's the chicken or the egg conversation put to the ultimate test. Do we have emotions because we've been manipulated by popular culture throughout history, movies, literature, commercials, etc.? Or does our pop culture express the complexities of the human condition in a way that we can all digest? If Don Draper invented love, that must also mean that Don Draper invented sadness, anger, fear, and humiliation to sell you dish soap and beer. Oh, speaking of which. This segment is brought to you by Bud Light Lime. Hey, fellas, forget about her with Bud Light Lime. Not an actual commercial for Bud Light Lime. Yes, obviously, throughout the course of history, memorable movies and plays and music have been a tad over the top. But that's because most people are so emotionally undeveloped that good art sometimes needs to be a little intense to drive the message home to the minds of an unrefined audience. Think about it. Did Romeo and Juliet both have to die at the end of the play? I mean, I don't think you leave the theater with any questions about their relationship, but, um, hello, dramatic. Of course it's extreme, because people living in feudal England couldn't even read, yet alone process a subtle love story where no one ends up dead. So tell me, when I bought my ex the giant bear and dragged it across Manhattan, did I do it because I thought it would look great in the TV show that is my memory? When those roses showed up on my kitchen counter, and I was hoping to find the man who sent them and cut him in half, gladiator style, is it because I saw someone do it in the movie Gladiator? Not a chance. I really wanted to kill that man. It seems to me like neglecting your loved ones, hiding behind the excuse that you haven't been programmed by pop culture to buy a card or take someone out to dinner is a real pussy move. Yes. It's a greeting card holiday. If you really have a problem with it, you dumb socialist, write a letter to someone you love on a blank piece of paper. Don't get swept up in cynicism. Feel your feelings. If someone is special to you, even if that person is yourself, do something nice and let them know. Unless, of course, they live with another man, then maybe exercise some restraint. I'm still looking for you, Roseman. Watch out. I'll be right back with comedian and podcast host, Casey Balsham. Lady, I know you're out there somewhere Like me, you're feeling lost Maybe right now we both need each other But our paths may never cross People like us never find each other And love is our greatest loss Lady, I know you're out there somewhere But our paths may never cross We're two people 
that should be and we're back on Mike Coscarelli rules I'm very excited for this next guest she's one of my favorite people in the world one of my favorite stand-up comedians ever uh <laughs> This is a story. All right, uh, let me let me bring her in. She's also the host of her own podcast, Shady Shit, with Casey Balsham. I welcome Casey Balsham to the show. Casey, Hello, thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, having me. I want to tell a little story that I don't know if I've ever told you in person, and if I did, forgive me for repeating it. Okay. But um, I remember when you came to New York City uh, from. I guess you had come from San Francisco, right? It was L.A., LA San Francisco. LA. Okay, San Francisco, L.A., New York. Mm-hmm, All right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I think I was about. Two years into stand-up, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. And I was um I was barking for stage time at the what was then the Laughing Devil Comedy Club, which yeah. if you're not like a New Yorker, you haven't been to any of these comedy clubs in New York, was this very small room in Long Island City. It's a hallway. Uh, it was a hallway. It was mm-hmm. very very poor setup for a comedy show. <laughs> like horrible. <laughs> kind of the worst. Like yeah. like if you were to drop something, you'd be like, Oh, I this will never be good for comedy. I would never want to do comedy there. That was the place. hundred percent. It was terrible. The layout where it was like, it was just a straight hallway. And if somebody had, somebody went to the bathroom. So if somebody on like the right side of the, because the bathroom was on the left side of the room Mm. and people like you filed in sort of like back to front. So people would fill the room and then you'd fill into the back. If somebody on the right side of the room went to the bathroom, they would have to like basically walk across the stage yeah. to get like to the Like literally bathroom. if somebody was wearing high heels, that walking across was louder than the microphone. 100% brutal. <laughs> like the show just became clacking of shoes. Yeah. For terrible. Yeah. So and then at a lot of these shows, this was like like Saturday night. Uh, they would kind of maybe get like 25 people there, maybe a little bit more. But so, this room was not like a good room to do Mm-mm. comedy. Um, but it was where I got to kind of like start doing comedy. That's where they put the people that are like starting the, the, the rooms that are not so good, you know, but so I, I was like still navigating the scene a little bit. I knew some people, I didn't know everybody. And then there was one night I'm barking for this show. It's like a full house for this, for this venue. Um, and I'm looking at the lineup. I don't really know anybody on it, but I'm on after Casey Balsham. Oh, and that's me. That's you. (laughs) It was, I remember being in the back of the room, like waiting to go on stage. I didn't, I had no clue. Some would say I never figured out how to do it in the first place. But at that (laughs) time specifically, (laughs) I had no fucking idea what I was doing. I was, I had like maybe five minutes of material. I think I was doing like eight and you, you came in, you were doing like 10 minutes. I, I don't, I don't know. This is like a top three I don't know that I've ever seen anybody in my presence on a show I was on destroy oh as God. hard as you can. Like, I remember, I remember the sound that the audience was making. Really? It's so oh funny because I don't feel like I've ever crushed in that room ever. Casey, <laughs> like, I don't even I, remember this. I was in the back of the room going, I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I'm fucked. Like, you know that feeling? You see somebody go on, you're just like, wow, oh, yeah. I got no shot. I got no shot. That is exactly how I felt. I was like, the audience was loving you so much Dang. that I was just like, they're going to, they're not going to, like, they're, you're getting off stage. The crowd's just go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like moving. You were really performing. Like, you could tell you were like, I got real physical a pro. for a bit. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And, <laughs> 
when you got off stage, I just remember like somebody brought me on and I was just like white knuckling the entire, <laughs> I was like, I bombed so bad because you were so fucking good and they oh, loved man. you so much. And I just, it, it stayed with me. I remember thinking like I was intimidated to I talk retired. to you. For, I should have retired right then. That's the best. I'll, I peaked. No way. No, you're, you're as good as you've ever been. Oh, thanks buddy. Uh, speaking of that though, I, let, let's start with your podcast, but then I want to get back yeah. to talking about comedy a little bit because we don't, we haven't really talked about that much in the pandemic yeah. on the show yet. Wait, can and... I just say something too about that terrible room, which is yeah. actually oh, just please. kind of funny. Okay. So I will, we, we've painted the picture that it was trash, garbage, mm. the worst of the worst, terrible, terrible, you know, layout, everything. I actually coming from Los Angeles doing comedy on bigger stages where like you couldn't see anyone um, like just physically bigger places. Whenever I was booked in that room, when people were literally sitting on stage and sometimes there'd be like four people in the mm. room, I had to learn how to not perform and like connect and talk. And I actually as hell as hellish as that place was, I feel like when I moved to New York, I got the most work done there because I had to like actually like bring my eyes down and talk to the people where yeah. I'd never had to do that in LA. Like it was always just like you were on a stage and it was clear like you were performing and they were there. But in that room, it was like, we're all here together. We all made a choice. Yeah. And I actually, I feel like I learned and I got the most work done in that room. And it's the worst. It was, it was, the worst setup in the world. <laughs> it was like it was the type of room where you had to like kick people's feet off of the stage. You had to be like, "Sir, can you please like get your feet yeah. off of the stage? Would, like, I'm up here performing." They put like their drinks on the stage. And you're like, yeah. "I guess, I guess, I guess." <laughs> yeah, but, but that's like what work that shitty there. New York room mm -hmm. does. To, it's like mm -hmm. the it is a it is a prototypical like. All right, we have a small space. Let's yeah. get let's let's hustle thirty people into this into this uh, yeah. little room or five and see if we can or five yeah or five. Or, or two <laughs> you know yeah. Um, but yeah, that night you were fucking out of control. And, uh, I mean, I, I'll I never forget. Set. Yeah. Um, talk to me about your podcast a little bit because yeah. obviously we for the listeners that 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 know you and and perhaps know me like you, you know that I'm a behind the scenes guy for the most part but Casey and I have actually worked together on podcasts in the past we were working yeah. on a, a show for Betches Media for a while a true crime show yeah you kind of um, got me into the podcast game I did well you yeah. you asked me um even before all that when the last time I was out of work <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah because yeah. you posted something I wanted to start a podcast and you posted something I think on Facebook member Facebook <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh I, I you posted something on Facebook that were like that was like I'm looking for or if anybody wants a producer pitch me your ideas and I wanted to do like a Broadway-based podcast and I really didn't yeah. know what I wanted to do and you were like I'm into that and I have a couple contacts and and we tried that out and then you got the job at Betches and I also like didn't I hadn't found my like solo footing yet now mm -hmm. I feel like I could talk to a fucking wall and even the wall would be like oh my god fucking shut up but I <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah you started that and then uh and then I had you over for poker you played poker with us and yeah. then literally the next day you're like do you like true crime and i'm like well i do buy <laughs> magazines about kidnappings and you're like perfect <laughs> but you kind of got me into it yeah well i remember thinking like at that time we needed we needed hosts and i was just like yeah. like I, I remember when we started working on that first show again that, that you were like like talented you just needed to harness your thing which you My clearly chief. have with shady shit yeah even as like a solo person because it was just like usually when you hand somebody a microphone and you're like all right you're gonna hold down a podcast alone uh start talking and figure it's it out lot. 
Yeah, it's a lot. And it's like most of the time people were very bad at it. But it was like when even when we were doing that thing, which eventually didn't really go anywhere. No. Like nowhere. I, I do remember thinking like Casey's got it. She just has to like figure out what she wants to do. And then when we put you with other people, it was just like, oh, Casey, this is like she's fucking killing it. Like she just gets to sit there and be funny. Like she's working hard on like learning all this stuff. And since you liked the true crime stuff. Yeah. Like you guys as a team, you, Sarah, um, um, uh, Danny, Sarah, Danny. I forgot Sarah's fucking last name because I'm so used to calling her Sarah Sarah Carter because of her. Oh, Instagram. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys were obviously you're so great together, and then you know you went on to do this show now, which yeah. is a mix of a lot of things. It's, I feel like it's the yeah. most Casey that you've been able to to get. Am I wrong? No, it's so fun because it's it's called Shady Shit, so it's under the guise of kind of like. It can literally just be anything that's kind of been a little bit off color or fucked up, you know, like mm. I've done we've done ghost stories. We've done murders. We've done, you know, MLMs. I've done Woodstock 99, which was a really fun one that we did. But it can kind of really just be anything like I'm going to deep dive Aaron Carter. Like, it's just it's like it, it is perfect because also. Yeah, yeah, I know, because something's something's up with him. Something's up. Yeah, he, <laughs> he turned he turned a corner. He became very Tampa, if I, if that makes sense. You know? He's very Tampa. Yes, <laughs> You're right. and I can say that my husband's from Tampa. So don't come for me. Don't come for me, world. But um, so it's it's just it really it's nice to have a bit of a freedom to kind of have a, a bigger umbrella. Mm. Um, of like kind of having like a true crime base, but also kind of being able to explore other things. But also it's been really fun because I, sometimes I have people that have like expert, not expertise, but have like a little personal experience with something like I have uh, TJ on Tanial uh, Joachim mm. and yep. he's talking about Haitian voodoo because mm. he grew up in Haiti, which is like yeah. super interesting. I, I had Corinne on and she talked about Wicca. Um, I had my mm. friend Chelsea on because she went to Mormon camp when she was little. But then for the most part, I, I like surprise the guests with the topic so that I'm just kind of like telling them about a case or something and then we're just kind of bullshitting so it is kind of fun to see how people to to pick different things for different people to be like oh this person's a trash bag let's talk about this or this person <laughs> it, you know it's it's been really really fun to kind of tailor the podcast to who my guests are so i've been having a lot of fun with that it sounds like it. I, i've listened yeah. to it a bunch it sounds like you finally like really you sound like you're in the very um happy creative space with it um you know, i'm in my house we put some wallpaper That's on true. a wall and then you just podcast. You know, it's really easy <laughs> if you guys want to start it. It's wallpaper and mics. Well, so let's start here then. Obviously, like you're a, a an outstanding stand-up comedian, one Thank of the funniest you. around. Um, and now you're a, an extremely talented, uh, accomplished podcaster. Okay. Um, a, let's start here. Which one do you like better? You know, there is something really nice about not leaving the house, but I, you know, I do have to do research. Mm -hmm. I, this is me. This is me complaining about two hours of work that I have to do a week. And it's a lot, you know, when you're used to doing 15 minute spots and then you're like, Oh, now I have, you know, research and I have to record for 45 minutes. It feels, yeah. it feels like you've taken on a lot, but no, these, they're both truly the best. If you can make any kind of money doing either of them, it's truly the best situation because, because yeah, because it's, it's, it's all what you want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, you know, I started in standup and I, and I miss it. And I miss it and I don't miss it. It's weird. Like I love stand-up, but I also kind of, I like exploring another outlet. You know, like I like trying to, I like figuring out a different way to get out there than, than actually 
like standing on stage and, and doing that. So they're both, they both hold a different kind of, um, I have a different relationship with each. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I totally get it. When, when you started, did you have like, I'll be, I've, I've, I address myself as a failed comedian on this show all the time. That's sort <laughs> of like my, uh, my, 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 you uh, just called it. Mike is a failed comedian. I, I basically, that's what this is. <laughs> but that's but, not taken. Uh, <laughs> I think part of the issue for me with standup was that I, I think that like by the time I was stopping, I mm-hmm. was realizing that when I started in the first place, I was kind of using it to get into other stuff. Like I, I yeah. was thinking about it when I started, I was like, I'll, I'll do standup for a while and then I'll get a writing job or then yeah. I'll like a write lot a of people do that. I'll, yeah. Right. But I didn't realize it really. Like, I, I think I always knew that originally. But then once I started doing it in the city, I think I I turned this corner where I was like, stand up's a lot of fun and I'm meeting mm-hmm. all these people and it's exciting. You're in New York and like maybe, you know, the I'm just I need like one big thing. And I, I kept getting these potential one big things. Like, always. I, that's the, that's fucking, this career until you fucking die. You'll yeah. be like in the ground at your funeral being like, who showed up? What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> we, this- I got. The the first time I got um I got like a like a producer found me and it was America's Got Talent and I didn't I didn't realize like mm-hmm. what a a disaster that whole production is because they just literally scour the whole country oh yeah and they try to put oh, together just thousands to of and- people did you really mm-hmm. <laughs> for AGT I did yeah I just I just sent something in and I haven't heard back so according but, to uh, America listen, it ain't happening. I'm- I'm pulling for you. I hope that you get it, but I'll tell you right now, you're going to end up in Queens uh, the entire day, like waiting for them to be, to see you in a in a, like a like half an auditorium. It's a nightmare process. But I remember thinking that the first time I was getting that, I was like, "This is this is it. Like this is the start oh, of it." Everything, you know, everything that you get, you're like, "Yeah, I'm going to yeah. make it." And then it just nothing, nothing pans. It's just it's such a it's such a weird career to be like. I know that I'm going to constantly be on this roller coaster where like my hopes are up and then they're just going to be crushed. They're just, (laughs) I am ultimately people are going to crush my soul. They're going to put it in a fucking, what are those little stone things with the little things? I know you're talking about, Uh, you uh, you mash uh, up like peyote with it. Yeah, I have one. It's like a (laughs) guacamole. Think think of like table side guacamole. Like that's what people are going to do with your dreams. They're going to fucking add cilantro which is gross and they're gonna (laughs) kill your dreams but i have to tell you like i actually before the pandemic the pandemic i mean i truly feel like i created the pandemic because first off you know i wanted to i wanted i wanted to get married and it happened so i you know i was like well listen we're locked inside like let's just get married uh so so that there was that and then i also (laughs) i I want I was, I was, I was ready to quit. I wanted to quit stand up before the pandemic. I was, okay. I was going through, you sh- there's like a string of podcasts that I did where people thought they were getting a funny comic. And I was just like, I don't know, man, I think I want to work on Broadway or like, I was just like, I was just, I was just like talking about how I wanted to work in casting or I wanted to just like, yeah. I truly, there must've been, there's probably, there's literally at least five podcasts where I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing anymore, man. I fucking hate this job. I, I don't like anything. I like my friends, but I don't like stand. I would cry before shows and I would get mm. off stage and I would cry. And I was like, this should not be the reaction. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. And so I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> thank <laughs> the Lord. That shit is over, you know? Yeah. But then so you manifested the pandemic. I manifested a pandemic. I manifested a wedding. I didn't manifest losing a tooth, but that was just a bonus. <laughs> 
Uh, that's just a lucky bonus. After for the listeners, ma- it was Casey just smiled for the camera. <laughs> after you get that's married, you can just—I know. After you get married, you can just start yanking teeth. Like it's the paperwork's done. You know, like the the jig is up. Yeah, but I, but but then I kind of started to find a new, which is so crazy because people hated the Zoom shows. But I right. I leaned into the Zoom shows because I was like, listen, I've gone to Brooklyn for worse and for less money than sitting on my bed. Mm. And I really, I really started to find, I think I just really was burnt out. I think I was burnt out. And I think, like you said, like it's it's hard when you think something's going to happen and it doesn't, or you feel like you should be further in your career than you are. And, and then, you know, ultimately you just blame yourself for, you know, drinking too much, you know, so. Yeah. I, you go, I've been there. You go, oh, I shouldn't have had a beer after the show. I should have got home and written a pilot. And it's like, that was just never my, it was never yeah. going to be my lot. You know, I, I like comedy. I like everything that the lifestyle that it's brought me, but I just wasn't where I thought. And, and then, and then during the pandemic, I just loved, I've, I started to really like doing it again. I liked the zoom. And then I, and then, and then, you know, you get bored of it again. And then, and then you realize it's still happening and you kind of, I, I I just leaned in again. And now what I think is happening is people are finding all these different ways to create. And I think it's really fun. Like I think people are yeah. coming up with so much content and people are, are, are doing albums with, in like studios and, and rooftops and all this stuff. Like I'm doing, I'm writing a, a show right now, a one woman show. I've reconnected with other friends that were writing pie. Like now all this shit's happening. And it just, I think took just sitting down and slowing down for it to happen, you know, which is not, yeah not necessarily healthy to be like, I need nothing going on for myself to be productive. <laughs> no, well, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think that's unhealthy at all. I think that like going back to what you were just saying about yeah. stand up specifically, it seems to be in my experience, the only art form where you're, there is such a competitive aspect to it. And even if it's sort of subconscious, like you mm-hmm. were, what you were just saying when you were like, I shouldn't have had that beer. I should have gone home and written whatever. It's a that weird is punishment into your head. It's crazy. They're like, yes. they're like, you can't do anything but write. All you should be doing is writing. And it's like, yeah, that's not even how I write. I can't, right. I can't even, it's not even like, and I, and I've, and I've gone through such a gamut, gambit, gamut. What is it? Gamut. Gam- and gamut is the queen's thing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think the, gamut, uh, so yeah, I- gamut is what you need. Gamut. When you go through the whole, I've gone through everything to, to where it's like, you know, telling myself, just try to write, just do a free write every day or look at topics in the news and just try to write like that. But ultimately like, and then I've punished myself every time I couldn't do it and been like, well, this is why your career, this is why. And it just, you kind of have to lean into who you are. Yeah. You can do, you can do work, but work doesn't look the same for everybody. I'm not a wake up in the morning and do something. I find my creative drive between three and five, like, and sometimes you just have to ride that out. But like, I'm, I, I need life to be happening. I need, I need to be out and I need to be walking around and I need to be in the world to write. So it was harder in the pandemic, but I found kind of a new, I started thinking about it in a different way. I still can't just like look at a blank page and be like, what's the deal? Like fucking, yeah. that's never going to be me. But I, but I could incorporate this life into the jokes, but I, I need to be, I, I need it to be more personal. I'm not topical. So, you have to live. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you can't and just I, like, and I like living. Yeah. Living's a lot of fun. You start to realize like that traveling. once you like, I like doing shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing though, like sitting at a, at the bar at like a, a comedy club with, with four oh. other comedians and who just you get the like, funniest, funnest nights. 
it's fun, fun, but they're also there is just this like junkie mentality that's like, oh, I yeah. did seven spots tonight. How many spots did you do? And it just makes you feel. If you were a painter or a musician, you wouldn't be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't make enough paintings today, or I didn't make enough whatever. Nobody, you would just be like, you wouldn't oh, do I, that. I, I'm, you, you wouldn't feel behind. I don't think I'm not a painter, but like that's my thought. You know what I mean? Are you kidding me? There's some painters that like like their one big painting takes them like, like 30 years. Yeah. Exactly. Like, do you and, know what I mean? And we're supposed yes. to pop out 15 new minutes every goddamn day? Get yeah. out of here. I can't. It's I can't control. do it. It's yeah. nuts. I, so do you think that that having like not being around, I, I, I'll say enablers, because that's really what other comedians are <laughs> to truly, other comics. You, you mean know? dealers? Being yeah, around dealers, my dealers? Yeah. People who are just like, come on, three more spots. Put it in your fucking arm. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, Can I, you tell, think I that, still get nervous when I get offered spots, which is so funny. Really? Like when people, when, when, whenever I get an email for a spot, like I instantly feel like I have to poop. I get like the, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to be on stage. Like I still get so nervous for shows that I had to get medication. So it is funny. There is like, I'm not, I don't get that. Like I, I do feel like it's druggies, but I don't, I'm not that person that has to be like, I have to get on stage every night. Like mm. I loved breaks even before this. Like I loved those nights when I would go like back to back to back, like the nights that I was running around always felt kind of exhilarating, but fuck man. I never was like, Oh, I had a bad day. Let me get on stage and work it yeah, out. I just, I, <laughs> and sometimes that's why I think maybe I didn't. Sometimes I think that maybe that is what's needed. And sometimes I'm like, maybe I will just always be where I'm at right now. And mm. if that is what it is, where you make most of your money doing it and you have a couple other things, you know, I had to, I had to really have these conversations with myself because I don't have, I don't have the junkie thing where like, I love, I, I loved bebopping around and I loved being, I loved the hang. I love the well, lifestyle it provides. Like I love being able to go to these parties. We can't all just be crazy talented. <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Going back to the seeing you on stage, that was my biggest thing where I was just like, fuck, it, I, I think I'm smart. If I was more talented, I'd be better at this. <laughs> like if but I was see, more like her. <laughs> you're saying all this, but I feel like you were not a bad comic. I don't remember I, I don't th- I, ever I was, like seeing you on stage being like, this guy really fucking shits the bed, doesn't he? <laughs> I could, this I was, Coscarelli get off stage. <laughs> I was good enough. Like I could, I could, co- I could get the job done or whatever. But I, I don't think I ever had that. I never had that Casey ball. There are several times where I remember. I remember watching you do thirty minutes once. I think you were taping it at, at New York Comedy Club. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember like there's there are jokes that I still remember. There were That's jokes. That's so funny because like, I don't. Oh my god, the, your Alexa joke. The the, oh, the I love Uber the Alexa. The that Alexa joke, joke is fun. I mean, that joke was something that like the, my ex, like, well, she was with me when we were watching that show. She like, she was like, when I told her that we were working together on a podcast, she's like, Casey's the one that has that joke, that, uh, that Alexa joke. Right. (laughs) And I was like, yes. How funny was that? She's like, that shit is so funny. Like it it was, you're memorable in a way that I, I don't think a lot of people are, which is why I'm curious. Like, like you're the way you were just talking about it now, obviously I know you're pivoting into like another lane of, of success, but are you are you saying that you're done? Like no, even if we no. open up again? No, I think everything changes when it opens up again. I think I'm what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is that I think I'm okay with I'm okay with where I'm at if I don't hit those things that I wanted to do. Like mm. there's obviously there's still things that I wanted to accomplish in this career, but if if I 
I, I don't know. I think that's what I'm saying. But again, I don't know. It's like when everything's out and everybody's doing it, all those things start to creep in again about like, I want this and I want that. And I want to be on TV and I want to be famous. Yeah. And I want a boat and I want to go on a plane and all the things. You want a boat, huh? I didn't know that. Buddy, <laughs> boat parties? Shut it. If I ever Define, got rich, yeah. that's all I'd want to do is I'd just be like, I'd just rent out boats and like restaurants and just put like cheese everywhere and be yeah. like, be like, we're all drinking Bring your kids. Yeah. Throw them <laughs> off the boat. Fuck it. We're going to get, we're going to get tubes. We're going to be tubing. We'll get life vests yeah. for the kids, but like we're fucking partying. That's I, I only would want to be rich to do that. So like, yeah, there's part of me that's like, Ooh, maybe start trying to write, see if you can sell something. Cause all I do is <laughs> I want the money, but it's not even like people are buying shit right now. It's like, yeah, you know, like they're not, but you got to get that boat. I want to, I want, I want boat rental money. I get you. I don't even want to own a boat. That's a lot of upkeep, but I want to rent boats whenever i feel you you know i want to be like we're going to italy yeah there's there's meat and cheese everywhere yeah and get your glasses we're going that's all i want um so no i don't think i'm done with stand-up i think i'm i'm okay with transitioning into other parts of the job because now during the quarantine you know it's like the fun part of the job the being on the on stage part went away and we all had to figure out a different way yeah. to keep doing the job when there was right. nowhere to do the job. Right. And it's been really kind of cool to see who's been succeeding at that. Well, so have you done outdoor shows? I know you've done Zoom shows because I remember you telling me about them in the early days. And I remember yeah. thinking like, God, thank God I quit because I would not want to do this. I like, get on the Zoom and be like, hey, folks, how, how's everybody's quarantine going? Like sometimes the camera would come up and I'd have a book and I'd be like, like I'd do like a full house. But no, I've done, I think, I mean, outdoor shows in the winter have been something very interesting, but people are out there. People want to go. Um, but the outdoor shows in the summer were it's incredible. It's hmm. amazing. Uh, like a rooftop on a nice new, you know, you know, like a nice New York night when there's yeah. like a little bit of wind and people are just fucking, there's just buzz. People are yeah. buzz. They're, they're buzzing. Um, so those shows were kind of incredible. And then you, there's like, you know, vineyard shows and all these places like outdoor shows when the weather's nice are the actual tits. They're boobies. Hmm. They're boobies of shows. They're amazing. <laughs> Winter shows feel like, crazy but still nice yeah winter in particular this year has seemed like very bad worse than it usually has um the other thing i actually wanted to ask you about because winter makes me think of loneliness <laughs> yesterday <laughs> it was valentine's day we're recording this the day after and yes. i was quite lonely last night i know you're like um, i ate a whole pizza and i'm like that's what yeah. a relationship is you just get less of the pizza <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that made me laugh really hard when you said that. It actually made me feel better. Oh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> but uh, so you got married this year. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you guys are waiting to have the uh, the wedding wedding, the big wedding. Mm -hmm. uh, married to your lovely husband, Robbie, who's also a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a Jew. And a Jew. Yeah, can't forget that. Uh, yeah. Do you think that that has also <laughs> sort of like helped you transition into doing like to other avenues of this to like security in a relationship where you're just sort of like Robbie's successful, too. And obviously you guys are yeah. making your living doing these things. But there's also I personally felt like one of the motivators for me when I was doing stand up in my mid 20s was like to 
get chicks because that's one Hell of the yeah. ways you also meet girls after shows. Oh, you guys you know? are the best. Hell yeah. Right. I, you, fuck. You're on stage. You're like getting all the attention. If you do well, I mean, some girls just for like, women. Whoa. Yeah. Totally. Same. Oh my God. When guys come up, they're like, Ugh. and it, and then, and then, you know, it wears <laughs> off. Then, then, then after like two days, they're like, off, does it? What? <laughs> the grunt wears off. Yeah. Does it? They just, you know, I think, I think women will always find guys funny forever and i think men can only take a little bit of funny chicks mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah by the second date they're like you talk a lot <laughs> <laughs> like well yeah, you're you not saying anything constantly nurse that male ego i know? know i have to be like no you're funny yeah Ugh. um but yeah to get chicks absolutely yeah. I mean, or, but I mean, I think being secure and well, here's the thing. Me and Robbie have an interesting thing though, because we've never not lived together. We moved here as friends. So we've been mm -hmm. living together before we were together and we knew each other for four years before that. So like, it's really, we have a very comfortable relationship and getting married was, was kind of just like the next step, but I don't know if it changes a lot of how I feel about like careers and stuff like that. I mean, I think we definitely it's difficult in the sense of both being creatives that like, you know, if we're both on the down part of the roller coaster at the same time, it can oh, be yeah. real like, eh, eh. like both of us are kind of like me. We were no funny. Nobody likes us. Where's comedy central. And you know, like yeah. things like that. <laughs> but if one of us is high and one of us is low and we can kind of help each other there. And, and we've also during this time have realized, um, we didn't, we didn't work together well before we just are different people. And so professionally, you mean? Yeah. Like we would try okay. to do like things and it just like, I just don't like the way he gives notes. He doesn't like, like it just didn't work. But through this, we've started to do these like kind of like little videos and like we did a podcast together and we've kind of learned how to work together. And it's actually, it gets a pretty good response now. Like I think we did a podcast together and people were like, okay, you need to do more podcasts with your husband. Like mm. the chemistry is unmatched. Um, and so that's been a fun discovery because we just, we didn't, we kind of kept our projects separate. We supported each other's project and we could, we would help, but yeah. now we're kind of doing some things together, which is just kind of the only difference, you know? So, so that we can fail together. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a roundabout way of saying, you know, if we both put energy into something, then we can both hear no. Right. It's double. It's a double fail. Yeah. I'm really selling this, huh? Kids, you want to be a comic? Don't do it. Stupid. Well, you have an interesting situation because yeah. obviously like you're married to somebody that's also in the same field as you. I didn't even consider the creative aspect of that because mm -hmm. I could tell you that I'm coming out of my last relationship. That's like one of the things that I don't think she fully understood. It's hard. And it's a different language, you know? It's a very different language and there is a lot of that, especially doing stand-up stuff, like there is so much rejection. There are so many nights where you're just like, oh my God, what the fuck did I I, I made a horrible decision with my life even pursuing this, yeah. you know? And I think that like going through that with somebody that doesn't fully understand it is is really tough because I would get depressed about shit. Like, and a lot of it would be creative. I, yeah. I personally, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but like my happiness is honestly linked to my creative output. And if I feel yeah. like I'm in a situation where I've like, like, like this podcast has been very creatively fulfilling for me for yeah. the first month that I've been doing it. And I feel like I'm like mentally already in a better place. Like, like coming off of like breakups, tough winter, whatever, it doesn't seem to really matter. But if you're not in that creative space, 
I just think it's really hard for somebody that's not there with you to, to understand it, you know, yeah. cause they're just sort of like, why aren't, why don't you want to like go, uh, you know, to the Belmont stakes with me? Like, and you're just like, cause I bombed six times this week and <laughs> I have to like rewrite my whole act and I have to like do this. And like, it just never stops, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, in her defense, much- the Belmont stakes are really fun. <laughs> I want, we did end up having a good time they're but. really fucking fun <laughs> yeah, gambling horses white boozers, claws you know yeah, white claws <laughs> big hats big old hats can't deny it Mm-mm. but so that aspect of it is do you find that that's like that you're you'd rather be with a creative person obviously you don't have a choice now because you right. guys are in yeah because <laughs> then i think i think there is a little bit more understanding of like not wanting to do something um because you're kind of in a in a, in a slump uh, yeah, it, it is, it's hard not to bring, it's hard not to bring this work home with you. So people that aren't people that clock in at the beginning of the day and clock out and kind of don't really have to think about their jobs or, and don't really like, I know a lot of people love their jobs, but they don't constantly have to be, um, thinking about Consumed. them and working yeah. on them. Yeah. Whereas this, there's no rules. There's no boss. There's no, ceiling really to how you could there's there's just it's so free and open that it's almost harder because there's there's endless things it's it's never ending it's it's constantly evolving and it's constantly doing stuff and even even if you get this you want that and even if you are here you want to do this it's just there's there's no rhyme or reason to this job and it's really hard not to let that swallow you and not to like absolutely fucking Spiral. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. It's just hard. So it, it's hard to put it into words when it's somebody that doesn't understand. But it's also hard to like push that down in yourself and act like a regular person sometimes when you just don't have the energy. Like we're literally mm-hmm. begging people all the time, like like me, like me, yeah. love me, love me, think I'm yep. funny, follow me, watch my stuff, buy my album. That yeah. sometimes when all when you've done all that and then you still get on stage and people are like nah it's yeah. hard to come home <laughs> and be like how about you it's hard to come yeah, home and go through that again you know <laughs> yes yes it's i know lot. 100% it's yeah. brutal sometimes you just remember- have to go home and be like i'm sleeping uh, yeah. that's it that's all i'm doing today i'm fucking i'm sleeping yeah, I I remember being out on the road having like a, a like a weekend where I didn't do well and then having to like come home to her and <sighs> like we were just like fighting on the ro- like I was on the road. I was bombing and we were fighting and I just remember thinking like what the fuck? Like what this is the fucking nightmare. This is the worst. Like the, this is being the woman that I'm going to like end up marrying whatever. Like like she's got to learn this and understand it. And uh, you know, obviously it didn't have to, it didn't end up like that. <laughs> but but the other thing is like you guys survived quarantine, That's which a, is yeah. not only did you survive, but you thrived. We, we did all of it. You know, there were, yeah. there was highs, lows, there was lots of shit, you know, but me and Robbie also, I, I think what's good about us is that we're both, we're both pretty independent, you know, like Robbie, like we, we get it. We get it. We're also like old enough to know that like, we're not going anywhere. Nobody's doing anything crazy. Like, but I've, you know, I go home, I went and saw my sister and my parents and we'll be away from each other. And it's just, it's, 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 we just, we're not on top of each other, which is mm. nice, even though we physically live together and we physically have never not lived together. Never, right. not once I've lived with him my entire life. Um, <laughs> it's fine. We're fine. Uh, we are, we also have our independent things. Like a lot of times he'll go out and meet up with people, go walk in central park and, and I'll go do like, it's, it's nice to kind of, it's nice that we 
are not needy or dependent on that part of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's helpful. I mean, a lot of times there are times when he's like in one room and I'm in the living room and I'm like, please sit next to me. Uh, and he's like, I mean, yeah. I've seen you every day for seven years. <laughs> Get like, away from me. I'm like, but I need it right now. But, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, like I said, there's been, there's been highs, lows, but, but we both kind of, we both like what we like and can do our own thing without the other person being like, that's weird. Why don't you want to include me? It's like, well, cause I know you don't like to do this and I do. So like, I'm not right. going to bring you I'm not going to make you do something you don't like unless it's like my birthday. And then we're going to Broadway, um, you know, and then <laughs> but he, had, he, he has to have known that for years, years. being in a relationship with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And my birthday fell on Super Bowl this year and, oh. ta- and Tampa was in it. So my dad was like, you better give him points. I'm like, this isn't the fucking fifties. Like if he wanted to watch the game, he could have told me. And we, we went to dinner at five. We made it home for the second half. It was great. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we, you know, we, we're able to kind of get away from each other and be with each other. And we have fun with each other. And we both, mm-hmm. you know, we also will just sit on the couch and be on our phones for five hours. So it's a regular relationship, you know? Yeah. It sounds healthy. I would love to be in one of those. <laughs> you want to be in a phone relationship? <laughs> I just think like, I always, I've always looked at you guys as like, um, like very secure in their relationship. And I, yeah. I, I, you don't necessarily see that all the time. Like it, it's, it's weird to me that now that I've started to see people get married, mm-hmm. um, the people that do get married seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I, I don't have a lot of people in my life who have gotten married where I, like, I'm just Ooh. like, yeah, right. Like, yeah. Oh, God, give that five years, you know? Yeah. Like, and you guys are, are just like the latest addition to that where I'm just like, Casey and Robbie, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. They seem to really enjoy yeah. each other. And we've they seem also to really known like, each other for like 10 years now, you know? Yeah. So that goes a long way. It does. It, it's it, people always ask me like, how do I, you know, who should I go for? And I'm like, go for your friends. Fuck your friends. Right. You know, go <laughs> dig into the pool of people you already enjoy and then just right. like see what their privates look like. Right. Yeah. And if they're not disgusting, marry them. If they're not disgusting, if they don't smell, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, even a little <laughs> smell, whatever, we can all shower. But, you know, if yeah. they're not if they're not gross and you enjoy their company, try fucking them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to work for some people, for I a mean, lot of people. I think it's the best. It's the best thing, you know, yeah, if you can right. go online or you can just go through your phone. So this is your first Valentine's Day as a married couple. How was it? What did you guys do? Anything? Uh, it was actually really fun. We um, we decided well we decided we were going to do a, a a lunch instead of a dinner because we planned it very last minute and I was like oh my god should mm-hmm. we go out? Um, but we decided we're like let's do lunch so that we don't have to worry about trying to get a reservation and like nobody's going to be out during the day. So we we got a donut in the morning from Joe Donuts and then we actually went to Central Park which was beautiful because there was snow oh, from so the nice. last two weekends uh-huh. and then the lake was frozen by the boathouse. And uh, people were walking on it. So we were like, oh, my God. Like, like I can't Jesus, be- huh? Well, but truly, it was so funny that me and Robbie were like, I can't believe we've been here seven years. We've never walked on the frozen lake in Central Park. <laughs> and we're like walking and we're like, oh, my God, this is so fun. I'm like pretending to ice skate and do all this bullshit. And then we yeah. get off. And the minute we get off, this guy comes like screaming down in a golf cart, just yelling at people. Get off the lake. I was like, oh, this wasn't a fun thing set up by the city. Like, this was very dangerous. He was like right. screaming. He's like, that's thin what are y'all yeah. doing you guys are crazy so i was like well okay what well, we did um yeah and then That's we went great. to lunch oh and then God. we came home and watched sabrina and ordered pasta and pizza and drank wine it was great damn it really is maybe i'm just being too hard on myself 
Because that that sounds like mostly half of what I did. Only just there's no woman involved. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like a relationship <laughs> is true. It's exactly like being in quarantine. It's just eating and shows. That's all a yeah. relationship is. And then sometimes you you have sex. You know. Sometimes. That's, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once every couple of weeks, throw it in there. <laughs> Special occasions. You brush your hair and you get it in. No, but I mean, it is just. It's a lot of. It's a lot of pizza and TV shows. So if you yeah, have I mean, that, Mike, you're in a. You're Pretty much in a relationship. <laughs> right now, I'm currently dating myself and <laughs> just eating enough pizza and fucking uh, watching Netflix on my own. Buddy. I, I always thought that, though, with like with like the last relationship, too, I, I sort of had the same basic thoughts where I was like, we, we got to a point towards the end where she was like, I, this was this is my theory on why it eventually ended. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, not a lot of people support this theory, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. I think that part of the issue was that she, when we were getting into that phase of the relationship where we were just like, you know, eating pizza, the watching TV, phase. whatever. Well, before that, well, but I we, mean, did, but we did, yeah, the quarantine, <laughs> <laughs> the quarantine phase of the relationship pre-quarantine. Yeah, which is just uh, TV and food. Right. Uh, we did so bad in quarantine. It was insane. Like it was, it was <sighs> It really like fucking throttled the relationship that was already going down in the first place. But we got to that, to the quarantine part of the relationship, Mm -hmm. as you'll say. Mm -hmm. And um, we, there were times we would just be in separate rooms. She'd be in the bedroom. She was the bedroom. I was the living room. Mm -hmm. That was like the way we carved it up. And um, she just got on this kick of watching like Sex in the City over and over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. like she'd watch it the whole season, mm-hmm. like the whole show, mm-hmm. and then just start from the beginning again and watch mm-hmm. it again. Yeah. And my theory was always that like she got to a point where I was very accepting of the fact that we were in the quarantine aspect of the relationship where it was like, no, no, like we, we love each other. We just hang out now. We just like watch TV and, and, you know, get Mexican food or like whatever we do. <laughs> and I think she was watching so much of like Carrie Bradshaw, like out in New York, like going to clubs in the meatpacking district or whatever, that she was just like, this is boring. I want to be doing all this stuff again. Cause she was like hmm. younger than I was. She's 26, 26 now. Yeah. So she's at that time. She's just like, why am I 26 in a quarantine relationship? I need to be out at uh, the meatpacking district uh, getting my Carrie Bradshaw on. And I, I stand by the fact that I think like the things that she eventually started asking me to do, mm-hmm. um, some of it was just spend time with her outside of the house, which I probably should have done in hindsight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I get that. I get that. But also wait, what was the other thing though? Cause then I have, well, she, that, that they, I have they, thoughts. they just started becoming like, um, like, uh, the asks just started becoming a little more grandiose. Mm-hmm. I thought that like the the asks would be, I don't remember anything specific, but the asks were just like, why don't we just like go to like, like the upper West side and like, like do this extravagant thing. And like, like it, it was just that. like this pull for me to do something like that exists in TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of like, you know, that this is real life, right? Like, you know, I can't like uh, I can't shut down a restaurant for your birthday and be like, <laughs> be like, like, like and then buy you like a like diamond earrings yeah. and then, you know, what I mean? and like and then fly your family out from California. And, and then like and then, you know, Selena Gomez is also like, I can't do something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have to live in reality and I can't there's I can only do so much. But I get you know? it. I because I, I have I get grandiose thoughts, too. Like I I want to do old New York stuff all the time. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. now, but it, I do think that those things, you know, for real people like us where, you know, we can't go to a club that has $30 martinis every night, but we could do yeah. it like 
once a season, you know, you could right. do, but also I do think that, um, you have to kind of, she could have also planned something. She could have been like, put your shoes on. We're going to go do this. And like, you know what I mean? Like totally. it could have been, it could have been both ways. Like I totally get the idea of being like, I don't want to just sit here. I want to go do something, but it's also like everybody can play a part in that. And mm. it's like, once you kind of do something special for me, I do something special for you. It, it does. It, and, and, and even in our relationship, like sometimes we have to remind, I have to remind, you know, him that like, we're, we're, I sometimes I have to be like, we're married. So we have to do something like lovey. But it's because it's, <laughs> right. it's every more, now and then. Yeah, every now and again. And, but it's also like, it's not, I can plan it. Right. And that's hard for me because it's like, you want someone that's going to be like, surprise and do all that. And that's just not, it's not, if you haven't set that up as a precedent, like I have two friends and they're so good with that with each other. Like they both constantly are planning like these surprise things and doing stuff like that. But it's also, that's, that's, that's what their relationship is. That's what kind of makes them tick. And that's how they've always been. It wasn't yeah. like, Hey, 10 years in, let's start doing this stuff. I think, right. you know, I think you have, they're also both rich. <laughs> you know, like, so that they, helps. This, we were not it, rich. It very I, I'm much helps. It, you have to, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you have to acknowledge to be like, yes, we can go for drinks at the Carlisle, but like not once a week it's right. You know, we, we can do these fun and fancy things, but they just, they can't be all the time, but I get it. It's like, we all, I think girls just have this idea of wanting to get dressed up. And I'll tell you, like, I go to Broadway shows all the time by myself. I have, you know, I could get dressed up if I want. And I just always end up, this is New York. I'm not taking, like, I have to walk on the sub in the subway. Like every time I put heels on my feet, I go, what are you doing? Yeah, I know. So you don't, I feel you. you don't like these. And I've been to a club in the meatpacking and it sucked. It was <laughs> fucking garbage. Yeah, it was really. But it, it I, I get the idea. New York is very romantical. And that show makes it look like it's very fun. And but, you know, because she's dating these rich guys who are just like pulling up in limousines like, hey, Carrie, get in the fucking limousine. She's also like she's we're also going to Paris. I, like, truly. What? It's like we're not we're not doing that. But she's also got the hair and the body that just make everything look perfect. We're like, I've yeah. never if I were to wear a skin tight, like I would never look body like suit, her. Yeah, like I can't even get my hair that like it, yeah. it just she just she she's not regular us, you know. Totally. Yeah. And that's yeah. like the whole thing. It's a fucking TV show. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, it, these things are bad for uh, relationships in the long run. If you live in New York City, if you live somewhere like shitty, like in the middle of the country or whatever, you don't have to worry about it if you're a guy because your girlfriend's not like like if you live in Kansas City, yeah. there's no like show about how beautiful Kansas City is. Oh, and, no, and there's the, the nightlife. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you you can have your quarantine uh, pizza and uh, Netflix relationship and yeah. it's all good. Yeah. But then it's like you get moved to New York and it's like if you have a, a, a girlfriend who is young and impressionable yeah. and uh, just wants to go to brunch with her her gal pals talking about uh, trying to figure out which one's the Samantha. I know. And then she becomes a Samantha. Oh boy. They're always, you got some problems. We're all Samantha. That's what no girl will ever be honest about. We're all fucking Samantha. Yeah. We're all crazy. whores. Speaking of whores, uh, we watched this Britney Spears documentary <laughs> this week, didn't no, we? No, <laughs> boo! She's a lovely woman. I know. I feel bad. I rescind that. I don't. I I just did that strictly because I saw the opening. But, oh yeah. Um, Transition. No, See, you're still a comic. I'm still a comedian. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this Britney Spears documentary that the New York Times did, it's on Hulu. Um, yeah. This is, I thought of you right away when I started thinking about this. Obviously, I wanted to talk a little Valentine's Day and mm -hmm, romance mm -hmm, and because, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's the season, but I couldn't pass up an opportunity 
to talk to somebody about this Britney Spears documentary. And and this, I almost feel bad because I feel like I might be stepping on some shady shit content. Am I? Well, we did. Well, for for the other podcast, though, we did a Britney deep dive. And I yes. haven't decided if I wanted to redo a Britney deep dive because I think that there's more documentaries coming out. What I've heard is that there's yeah. going to be another one coming out on Netflix and all that stuff. Um, but no, we can talk about it. I don't think I don't have it in the plans for any of the, my in the future right now. Oh, thank God. Cause I have so many thoughts about this. What first off to get, to lay the groundwork for myself. I, I, when I watched this stuff, um, when I watched this doc, I texted you, I was, I just made sure that you watched it because yeah. obviously we we're going to talk about it. But when I texted you about it, I said, I'm going anti Britney. I know. And I think that you were very surprised and I was, I have to tell you after I, I texted you with probably like 24, 20 minutes left in the documentary, maybe 25. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end, I got more conflicted about Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Why? What turned you? Um, it's, oh man, it's, it's so, there's so many factors for one. Like I don't have any, I like Britney Spears and I do overall think that she was treated quite poorly Mm -hmm. by, really the whole everyone country you know what i mean like forget the media whatever i think my the reason why i was trying to perhaps go anti anti anti-britney through the first like three quarters of the documentary was because i think i was a bit resentful of the the retelling of everything that happened through the lens of the documentary Mm -hmm. because i think that the documentary did a bit of a disservice to fairness I don't think I I think that the 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 mission of the doc was to sort of get her like to to get the viewer to objectively just say oh poor Britney Spears. And I think that that is for the most part given all like everything that was happening it it's kind of easy to say that, but I also don't think I think that it kind of it lets her off the hook for any accountability and I don't think that that's quite as fair. Well, Does that I make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But I don't think it was, I think it was telling her story of what we don't know. Cause I think, I think in general, people watch her Instagram and the last kind of public Britney, we, well, she did the tour in Vegas, which she was kind of just like lip syncing. Yeah. And, you know, she's right. not, she's not as like nimble and, and as she used to be, we have to remember this is an almost 40 year old woman that, that has two kids. Um, so, right. you know, sorry if I can't do a backflip anymore. A ah. lot, of, lot of cigarette smoking and drinking too. She also did, she was, she was big on the marble lights for a minute and who wasn't all right. Who yeah. wasn't, but I do think it was a, I think it was a telling of a story we haven't heard because I think that the, like, I think that if you were to watch Britney Spears stories, you'd be like, she's lost her goddamn mind. You'd be like, she mm-hmm. is not well. And I think this was to try to be like, she is fine. She just is, this is what's happening. I think it was to tell a story as like almost an explanation as to why she's not working and why all she has are her Instagram stories. That's the only way she, she can't drive. She can't talk yeah. to people. She can't do anything. And now even all these, all these things are coming up of other celebrities and past interviews. Like there's this one of Iggy Azalea on watch what happens live where she's like, yeah, Britney Spears came over, but her people came over first to like, look at my house to make sure that there wasn't anything weird. Like she has not been in control of her own life. 
just, I just, I just, I couldn't imagine being 15 at the mm. level of the height of her success. You know, when she was 15, 16, not being able to step foot on a single continent without mm. being mobbed. Mauled. Yeah, he was yeah. famous everywhere. And then what that would do to you. And then not only that, but you're still a teenager. And those interviews, people are asking you, why are you dressed like this? Are your tits fake? Do you have sex? Yeah. Did you fuck Justin Timberlake? Why do you hate Christina Aguilar? Like to constantly be basically made to feel like a bad person just for being uh, successful and being a woman and wearing a crop top. You know, like it just, yeah. I don't know. And then, and then, yeah. And then the custody battle with her kids where she went wild. She was also being drugged by somebody for a couple years. Like she was just not, she wasn't in control of herself. But that isn't that the whole point of having the conservatorship? Well, the, the conservatorship was that, yeah, for her money. But then if she was so, if she was so crazy that she wasn't in control of herself, she shouldn't have been working. She continued to work sure, for right. years and make them money. Right. So right, right. it's so crazy that, you know, they mentioned that guy, Andrew Wallet, the the co-conservator with her dad, who the original guy. Yeah. Who yeah. who got that raise. He asked for the raise, got the raise and then quit being the conservatorship because he actually was like, listen, the stuff that they're doing to her is so bad that I will lose my I can't be attached to this. I'll lose my license. Like it's bad. Yeah. Like he quit. Cause I, so I, I do think, yeah, the conservatorship was when she was coming off of being drugged, which is when she shaved her head. She was coming off of losing custody of her kids because again, she was like, had these, this bad guy in her life that was making her putting literally like drugs and not letting her see anybody. Yeah. Um, I'll get the name of that guy. I forgot his name. Sam Lefty uh, or Sam Lefty. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah, Sam. Sam Lefty. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And her dad was like, listen, I think you're going to, I think you're, a little reckless right now. Let me hold on to this for a second. She was still yeah. young. It should not be this long. Like give the bitch her money. She's earned it. Let her drive her own car. She can't drive a car. She can't leave her house. Yeah. Free yeah. Britney. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel you. I, I, I think that there's like, there's something to be said about the fact that she was working throughout this whole period yeah. of time. If she's so, um, if she's so dumb and can't handle anything and so reckless, like she did a Vegas, she did, a Vegas tour. She put out yeah. albums. She did all, she did a bunch of shit while she was, you know, in, in, uh, incapable or whatever. But there's still, to me, I think part of the other thing that I get, that I picked up from watching this. So I, I don't, I don't think that you're wrong in that aspect at all. Like, I mean, at, at a certain point, yeah, there, the, it seems like the conservatorship is it's done at, at least way too strong. And I mean, like, yeah. I, the thing is, it's like there, there are, there are, I would imagine that there are also things that were not necessary because I felt that this documentary was so, was skewed so positively towards the Free Britney thing and everything. Mm -hmm. I still, I'm not fully convinced that she is a hundred percent like lucid. I, I think when there are people that, have you ever had like a, like a mental break, like a real, like, I've had I've had one and a half where oh, a halfie. <laughs> where yeah I had, I had like a halfy not, right. not too long ago either. okay but but there's been times where even I like I, I was having panic attacks when I was yeah. driving like I, yeah. I was having some like bad stuff happen to me mentally where yeah. there were thoughts in my own head where I was like can I take care of myself it's scary it's scary yeah, yeah. and the thing is the the one area of my life that seemingly 
was the most together. Forget the fact that I did get fired. Like we don't have to go into like why I got fired because we I still don't actually know. Uh-huh. But professionally, the output that I was doing at work still felt the most normal it, out of all of those things. The, the the times for me that were the most not normal when I was going through those things were when like when I was alone or when I was with like, like when I was away from the one thing that kind of occupied my mind yeah. and kept me normal, which is why to me, it's like, I'm not a psychologist and, and granted the people that were involved in the conservatorship were also saying that it was particularly bad. So you got to give them the benefit of the doubt because they are on the inside of that. Mm-hmm. I do wonder though, if there is just something that going back to what you were saying, getting her indoctrinated at being a 15 year old Basically, this became her life. I, mm-hmm. The one thing that I always took away from Britney Spears, and that's why this whole thing kind of made me laugh when they were doing this, like the um, there's this whole section of the documentary where these people are like, if you look at this, this and this, she's clearly sending cryptic messages through her Instagram. Right. I don't buy that. Like, I don't buy that. She's this Stanley Kubrick. That's just like, no, like I'm putting this together and I'm like blasting it out to my fans. And it's this secret thing. Like I, 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 to be as nice as possible to Britney, like, I think that she's sort of like one of the reasons again, why she went on this roller coaster. Cause we do this all the time with, poor white trash that becomes successful because that's mm-hmm. essentially what she was like a like a white trash girl from Louisiana who has like white trash tendencies that's not a problem that's not something that should be held against somebody like somebody that from that economic class that makes it big like yeah they're sucking down cigarettes they're mm-hmm. driving without their shoes on whatever like that's just the way it's going to be and I think that we like to see people like that destroyed same thing with Anna Nicole Smith and, mm-hmm. and uh, Lindsay Lohan and those those types of women or people that get on but I think that there I do wonder if there is just like her the normal thing for her is to to work at this sort of output and, and like keep doing these Vegas residency, residency shows and keep putting her in the studio because that's what feels normal normal to her and I do wonder if there's this like aspect of her that maybe she maybe she fully can't control herself like outside of that and it's been years since she had that meltdown but maybe there is an element of that and we're just not fully getting the story and maybe both sides are a little because her dad seems like a nightmare and a terrible guy Mm -hmm. but maybe there is something that we don't fully that we're not fully privy to with Brittany, is it fair to say that that could be a possibility? Well, I'm going back to what you said about how the worst parts are like when you're alone, but essentially that's what they've made her be. They have not, they've made Brittany be alone. And she has said she's not going to work until the conservatorship Mm -hmm. is done because it's just, there's no, you know, so they have taken away all these things that maybe help her be, you know, get out mm. of her own head and all this stuff. And, and yeah, as far as like the, the Instagram and like the cryptic messages, I don't think there's something in that, but there have been people that literally, cause she'll go on and she'll be like reading a flashcard. That's like, a lot of you guys have asked me, what is my favorite movie? And that like, is a great and like Brittany, people, <laughs> thank you so much. I practice <laughs> and people will literally read every single comment and there's not a single comment that says that. So people yeah. are kind of like, what is she, like, who is making her do this? And what is, what is actually happening. So yeah, mm. I don't think there's anything with like the wear the red yellow shirt if you're feeling this way. I think right. I do think I think maybe she's regressing a little bit. I mean, if you look at her, she looks like she's in 2001. Like it looks like she's in like a whole different timeline. But she has said in interviews before that she dances when she feels like like stressed or when she Manic, feels little, yeah. yeah. And so if you look, everything she posts, she's dancing in her living room. I mean, there's still a Christmas tree up, so it's like 
okay, Brit, we need like, <laughs> you're clearly like something is happening, but I, I think it's, it's kind of brought on by this fact that all she can do is find things in her. She's been living in quarantine for the past fucking 11 years. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or however long yeah. this thing is. She's, they won't let her leave her house. You know, like she yeah. has to get everything approved. She can't do anything by herself. Could you imagine like if, if all of a sudden Robbie was like, took control of everything, I would probably fucking regress as well. And I would probably, yeah. and I'd probably be on Instagram being like, do you guys want to know what my favorite, my favorite flower is? It's a tulip. Like I, if, I, if I wasn't allowed to do anything besides go on Instagram, I would be yeah. a fucking nutcase. I would yeah. absolutely, I would be doing the same. Anybody would. She's not a lot. That's what she, she paints, you know, she dances like she's got yeah. a huge house. She's got all this shit to do, but like, just think about how we've tried to fill the time this last year. Right. No, and I what mean, if that, that was your fair. life forever. Right. Right. But you, but, but you can't leave the house. You couldn't it's even my go. Biggest fear. You couldn't drive I, a car. I, I talk about this to my therapist all the time where I'm, I'm just like terrified. Anytime I, my anxiety or my depression or whatever gets to a degree where I'm like, like again, like having panic attacks behind mm. the wheel, I'm constantly afraid that I'm going to get like thrown in a fucking nut house or something, and just like Always. lose lose the ability to like sign away. No. You know, basically, the type of stuff that she's going through, and that again, beyond whether or not like uh, like trying to find the uh, the the evidence that supports that she's like fully lucid, I also the emotion that I felt, I did feel very bad for her even looking back to some of this stuff like like reliving that year or two years however long that whole thing with Fetterline and like Mm -hmm. leading up to that like and her kids i I do feel really bad and there there is this piece in the atlantic she was uh, also probably like postpartum she was probably had postpartum depression that was like severely not diagnosed and not being treated which is like that will make you like that's that's a crazy thing that women go through after they give birth Totally. And and I think that part of the groundswell that we're getting right now for all of this is also the fact that like in what, what was this 2004, I guess this was when this whole thing went down right around there. Am I right? 2003, 2004. Um, no, I think it was, uh, it was in 2008. It's so funny. Cause what? I, I, no, re- I remember, really? I remember where I was when I heard. You're so right. I'm yeah. looking at this thing. It says early 2007. So yeah, yeah 2007, like right 2008. Oh yeah. my God. It feels like yeah. it was 20 years ago. I know. Cause I was in, Jesus I was living Christ. in Hawaii. I was living in Hawaii and I moved to Hawaii in 2007. Hey, and I was in Thailand when we heard that Britney Spears had a, con- so I know that we went to Thailand within my first year living. So it's funny. Like I know exactly where I was when I was, when I, when I heard, when I heard the news about Britney. <laughs> it's like the Kennedy assassination. It's, it, it, it's my, it's my Kennedy. She's my Kennedy, you know? Uh, there is a so this this piece in the Atlantic, why were we so cruel to Britney Spears? Written by Sophie Gilbert, something that I was I was taking a, a little peek at, and she mentions this. Um, she mentions this monologue from Craig Ferguson uh, mm-hmm. when he still had his late night show at that time, where he he was coming basically he he wasn't doing jokes, he was sort of just like talking about what was going on with her, mm-hmm. and he would. Um, recount what was happening comparing it to you know like you guys if a kid laugh like a kid if a kid falls um on funny america's funniest home videos or like gets kicked in the nuts or Mm -hmm. something like that like 
it's funny to all of you guys because you're hold, like somebody's holding the camera and like they got it on camera and how funny or whatever. But really, you should just put the camera down and go grab the kid and be see like, if they're hey, okay. Yeah, see if the kid's okay. Yeah. And the audience is like laughing and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, how, how funny. And then Craig Ferguson's like stopping them, like, guys, this isn't like I'm not doing jokes. I'm not doing a bit. You're terrible people for doing this to this girl. And like he was like so ahead of the curve 10, yeah. 13 years ago, whatever. Yeah. And I do wonder what you think. As a female performer, why do you think that this is something that people, that America specifically, because I don't know if it's as bad in other countries, but why do you think that America seems to enjoy just building up these starlets and then tearing them to pieces? Yeah, it's just, it's like we sexualize them and then we punish them for what we've done to them. That's kind of what, that's what happened to Lindsay Lohan. That's what happened to Britney Spears. Mm. That's what happened to all of them. We, we were like, we gave them, you know, covers of magazines where their asses were hanging out and then we condemned them for it. And we, mm. it's, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, it is like, we just, we love to see people fall from grace. We love to, I mean, it just, it's happened. It's like, it, there's something about, I guess, I guess they want you to rise slowly. If you rise too fast, people get super upset about it, but it's like, well, you mm. liked this person enough to make this happen. But then the minute it happens, I don't know. I don't know why we why we insist on tearing people down, um, and it's only it's only gotten worse. But I I do think we we with women performers around that time it was this weird thing where we where we sexualized them when they were teenagers, and then in the same in the same vein, we told them they couldn't do that. But this is why yeah. this is why they became popular, and this is what we've fed on. This is what the narrative that was created, but then, but then that was used against them. Like that one interview with Diane Sawyer, where she's like, this lady said she wanted to kill you because of how you yeah, like, that was fuck you. Chilling. I'm saying if I see Diane Sawyer in a fucking alley, we're throwing it. It's she is on my shit list. Diane Sawyer. I'm coming for you, bitch. <laughs> I will rip your goddamn hair off your goddamn head for what you did to BB. So I just, but like, but like, why would you, that she was a teenager. And it was over yeah. the way she dressed. It's like, hey, people were like, well, I don't want my kids to dress like that. It's like, then don't have your kids dress like that. But this is not your child. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, 2007, I guess when this, because she was of, of age, well, not of age. She was a star yeah. or became a star during like the, the Bush era, yeah. which is still this weird, like neoconservative time in America where it's like, to your point, She's in this position where it seems like a, you know, a lot of her fans who were in this documentary were saying that they related to her because she seemed um, more girl next door, I guess. Um, we, well, we all wanted to be her. Selling, right. And, we wanted and, uh, we wanted it. She got to be a pop. She had to dress fun. She got mm-hmm. to be she was a pop singer like but and she mm-hmm. was our age, you know, so it's like when you see somebody else your age doing something that you want to do, you're like, what right. you like love them and you hate them. Then she started dating Justin Timberlake and they were like the most popular like she was right. living the life that we all would have like I totally hate followed her like because I loved in sync and I was like, no, Justin and me, we've got a thing. I know so yeah. it was like this whole thing, <laughs> you know, and so it was it was altogether relatable and aspirational. But then also in that again, like I think that also means like, oh, but I also hate her because I want to do that or something. I don't know. It's just, it's all, it's all fucking, it's weird. Yeah. I, I really, I, I do feel bad looking back at, at it. And I think that we have this push now for mental health where it's something where it just like wasn't now as big then. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that it was like, um, I kind of think that there's an element of 
people like to see these starlets or or actresses, singers, whatever, have these breakdowns mm-hmm. because I truly think that most people in America who are like middle class or lower middle class, because like most people in America are not like well off. No. You know? I think that they like to see somebody who's like, oh, you think you're better than me? Oh, yeah, great. It's well, like if, somebody looks look, look like Britney Spears is shaving her head and losing her mind. She's not better than me. Fuck her. Yeah, you know? It's like when somebody has what you want, you want them to not have it. Right. You know, right. it's like when, if Britney, if you're if Britney Spears is pretty and people think she's pretty and all the boys think she's pretty and then she shaves her head. It's like, yeah, she's ugly now. Like, it's just, it's a weird fucking thing. Also, not for nothing, the pants were low then. All right? Very low, yeah. So every top was a crop top unless it was a goddamn nightgown. (laughs) The pants were low. Yeah. 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 It's not her fault. She just, she, she, she just was, it's like both the being the right time like the right person at the right time and also being the wrong time you know because she was yeah. kind of the first of this yeah because if you look at the other people like th- that was the era where we did that to we didn't just do it to her but i think that she was the only singer that got it well if you read like, Jessica, christina aguilera well, christina never aguilera fucking... but she she had her little extina moment where she was like i'm not a mickey mouse club person these are my butt cheeks and we were like but she okay. leaned in and like she, christina, she pierced like, everything she yeah. was like my nipples appears, my clits appears. Yeah. There was a period of Christina Aguilera's career where she just she looked like she had rolled in the mud for yeah, like, she like 10 minutes before she performed every single time we saw her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, but Jessica Simpson's book, if you read, she talks about how they just kept being like more skin, lose more weight. Wow. Your boobs yeah. are big. And then also yeah, her dad, was, her, and then her dad was like, her boobs are so big. Like it was just, yeah, yeah they yeah. were again, they were all sexualized and then they were all punished for it. And it's like, okay, well then, make me a Christian singer if you don't want me to, you know, do you think it's because like, it seems like all of these people that were involved have these teams of people. Like I, it's funny that you bring up Jessica Simpson because Joe Simpson, I still know that fucking guy's name and I know him for being like a prolific scumbag. Yeah, I used to wait know? on him a lot. He's like, did you in LA? Uh, yeah. Santa Monica. He used to come in like once a week. Oh man. He seems like such a sleazy he's, piece of shit. He's douchey. He always order two drinks He'd always get uh, extra fries and then they came with a bunch of fries and he wouldn't finish them. And he would put like, he'd rip up like his, he'd always vape. And then he would like rip up the vape wrapper Early and like, the put it in, in the candle. It was, he was just not, he was always kind of like, yeah. Like he just wasn't, it was like no time of day. Well, do you think it has to do with these people that have these teams around them that just push them into these? Cause I, like, I look at somebody like Lady Gaga mm-hmm. who granted has been controversial, but mm-hmm seems to kind of roll with the punches. I don't think that her career, like her career still seemingly as hot as it's been. Maybe not. I mean, she was at like a, like a very a plus list level celebrity level. Yeah, Well, she's just doing what she wants now. I think she got, she has a little more freedom over her career once she hit like a certain point, you know? But I think that's the thing. Cause like for a while we were doing that to her too, where it was just like, look at this fucking stupid woman in this meat dress, you know? And then eventually she was able to kind of roll with it. But we had this period where it was like Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan. Like we, we were so hypercritical of them going out and partying. Um, 
I also I, I revert back to my white trash theory that I think that that yeah. is an, an element that I really it's do think that people are just like, like, oh, look at this trashy bitch smoking cigarettes. Like she thinks she's better than us. Well, we'll show her, you know, right. like we'll show you in five years when your career is over. Lindsay Lohan, you, you trashy bitch. Right. You know, it's almost like like America is just extremely catty, you know? Yeah, we're the worst. I mean, look at us. We're the absolute worst. We even with coronavirus, we're like, hmm, we don't want it. No yeah. one tells us what to do. We're America. Literally. And it's just, yeah, we're, we're terrible people. Um, yeah. I, but I think it's like when you have a team of people, first off, if you have a team of people, when you're a teenager, the team of people are going to be older than you. Yeah. And they're making so much money off of you that I think at a certain point, like you have to be kind of a gross person to be part of that team too, to be like, I see this person is struggling, but I'm, getting rich. So I'm going to ignore, but I do think people quit for those reasons too. You know, I think that there are a lot of people that kind of work in these jobs, see the inside, decide that like they can't sleep at night and quit. Um, but yeah, they're making money and, and this, the person seemingly wanted to be famous. And so a lot of people would be like, well, they wanted it. It's their fault. And it's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to not be able to go anywhere. I didn't want to not be able to have everything I do. Like, God damn She's when she slipped on a flip-flop, people wanted to fry her. Yeah. And it's like, I, how many babies have you dropped? I mean, mine's five. <laughs> All right. I've dropped five babies. People be oh, dropping man. babies. People be dropping babies. I, I think on that note, uh, that, that's our high <laughs> note, I think. Right. We got to get out on that. Yeah. People be uh, dropping babies. People be dropping babies. Yeah. Uh, Casey Balsh, where can the people find you? Uh, at the daycare. Um, no, at, uh, <laughs> dropping babies, dropping babies. <laughs> I worked with kids for 10 years. Um, uh, I'm at case face B on Instagram and the podcast is shady shit. And you can listen to that wherever. Um, and that's all I got. Beautiful. Casey, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. You were stellar as you always are. Um, folks, thank you very much for listening. Why are you smiling? <laughs> That's how I end podcasts. Are you just yeah. showing me the missing tooth? <laughs> oh, What'd you say about being a white trash? <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast like you always do. Some of them have been very nice. I rep- uh, appreciate that. Um, some of them. That's, some, some of them. <laughs> All some, of them know. should be nice, you assholes. Some of the DMs have been less nice, but you know we roll with the punches here. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Appreciate it. I'll catch you again next week. Goodbye. Mike Coscarelli Rules is hosted by Mike Coscarelli. Executive producer, Mike Coscarelli. Supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli. Associate producer, Ronnie Side. Edited by Mike Coscarelli. Sound design by Mike Coscarelli. Podcast and social artwork by Chris Cheney. Special thanks to all the losers and the haters. <laughs>